Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast and another episode of the Late Night Ramble. I'm joined today by two VillaTalk.com regulars and stalwarts. Uh, welcome today, firstly, Steve-O. How you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good, nice to have you on. Uh, and also, Stefan as well. How you doing, mate? All right, mate. Yeah, cheers. I'm good, thanks. All the, all the way from Poland? Yeah, exactly. Uh, surprised you can hear me with the interference. The line. <laughs> we have to get. We'll have to go a little bit old school. When we used to, when we used to talk to uh, people abroad on the phone and speak really loudly down the phone. <laughs> exactly with, with a five, with a five second delay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, nice to have you both. Um, it's going to be an interesting one this week. We're going to be talking, obviously, the Leeds game and previewing that, which should be an interesting one. I'm trying to make it five out of five. We're also going to be talking about the defence as well, which I think has been such a vital part of our successful season so far and, and try and focus on that and, and talk about what's gone what's gone right for us this season uh, and then as steve is such a fantasy premier league expert uh, we're going to pick his brains a little bit uh, this late night ramble and, and talk about that as well and, and see his, see what tips he's got for us for, for those for those like myself who are terrible at the game um, expert is generous enthusiast maybe <laughs> enthusiast all right fine that's why you had uh, the disclaimer it's like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, we're going to do another round of the Didier Six, which, is, uh, which has gone well so far. And, and I think a lot of listeners have, have enjoyed that. So it'll be interesting to see what Stefan and Steve have got for us this, this, uh, this episode. But firstly, before we start, Steve, if I can get you just your general thoughts on the season so far. Uh, like most Villa fans, you must be fairly happy. Yeah, over the moon, to be honest. And I think like most Villa fans as well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked at how well it's, how well it's gone. I mean, when you consider, you know, that we scraped through at the end of last season and, um, you know, barely stayed in the league, to be to be sitting in second in the league with a game in hand is, I mean, it's beyond what any of us could have imagined, I think. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. I think, you know, we've, 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 it's definitely beyond our sort of wildest dreams. Um, um, you know, we, I think plenty of us thought that it was going to be a decent season for this season, uh, for us this season, and we were going to improve and, and push on. But I don't think anyone expected what's happened so far, and hopefully, you can uh, continue for a little while longer. Stefan, how has it been watching the games over in Poland? Have you managed to find many Villa fans over there? Um, so, to be honest, previously I haven't. Um, it's been it's been a, a lonely existence over here. But uh, recently, I've I've managed to connect with a, a Villa fan over here who's also from Villa Talk and managed to watch a couple of games with him, which has been really really great because obviously with the fans not being able to get into the stadiums and and me living over here, I haven't really been able to kind of share that camaraderie and you know screaming at the TV while my missus tells me what the ask me what the hell's going on is a little bit different to being in the stands calling the referee various profanities. So yeah, it's been it's been it's been cool and I've managed to get. Every game so yeah it's, it's been enjoyable to kind of share that with someone else now maybe, maybe you'll get some more villa fans over there now with the, oh, uh, with the, the recent success during the liverpool game i had some people who uh, i've been kind of mates with over here for like five six years just messaging me randomly on facebook just like what's going on i thought villa were crap I'm like, who knows you know yeah so, so did we <laughs> <laughs> yeah no definitely definitely see more villa fans and uh, villa shirts out in the street randomly Albeit most people are supposed to be in lockdown, so I'm not sure why they're all out in the street. But anyway, um, 
so I suppose, you know, general thoughts, obviously, like most fans, everyone's really happy with what's going on. And hopefully long may it continue and we can carry on. And it's definitely going to be one of those seasons where, you know, there's going to be a surprise package. Um, and like we've said before on this podcast, you know, why not Villa? Uh, we've got the makings of a very good team and, and potentially as long as we don't get too many injuries, we can have a, a fairly successful season. And a lot of the season, this a lot of the success this season has been built on the defence and how resolute we've been at the back. Uh, and I'll be interested to hear both your thoughts on that and 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 what do you think's worked well for us and and how do you think and why you think we've improved so much from last year, Steve? If I can get your thoughts uh, firstly on, you know, looking at ourselves at this time last year and how we defended to to how we're defending now. What what do you think the major change has been? Uh, for the team and, and, and how how much better we are defensively now. Well, I think there was definitely a change in philosophy from pre-COVID to post-COVID. Um, you know, pre pre-COVID we were leaking goals for fun. I mean, that Leicester game where we lost four-one, I think, sticks in the mind pretty uh, pretty painfully um, because we were awful that day and we just looked like we couldn't keep a clean sheet for for love nor money. And then after the lockdown, we just seemed to have have worked. Somehow during lockdown, even though we couldn't train for most of the time, we seem to have worked on the defence and and we were just miles better and and that's just carried on into this season and and for me, I think there's there's probably two main differences. Um, the first one being the partnership between Konza and Mings, which um, seems to be flourishing at the moment. And you know, Konza is oh, I said it the other day to to my friends that I think he's our best centre back now. And you know, Mings gets all the plaudits and the England caps, and um, he's the good looking one. And uh, gets all the attention, but uh, I, I think uh, Konza has, has developed into our best centre back, um, certainly for the start of this season. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, is I think Martinez. Um, I think he's been a bit of a revelation. And if you'd have asked me at the start of the window, should we be looking for to sign a number one keeper? I'd, I'd have said no. You know, with Heaton coming back, I didn't think it was a priority. But um, I think the confidence he gives the defence, you know, especially with the ball at his feet and, and coming for crosses and stuff. Um, yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think he's short at the defence, and and the confidence spreads spreads from him through the back. I think. Yeah, no, it's an it's an excellent point. I think you know I've said the same on the podcast as well. Martinez, a goalkeeper who was ready to play for a top four team, uh, you know, was that was their first choice, albeit Leno was there coming back from injury, and uh, you know Martinez would have been unlucky if he did stay at Arsenal to to come out of that side. But he was definitely ready to play for a top four team, and was a big part of their success at the end of last season. So the fact that we've got someone like that in the team is is fantastic, considering where we were last season and how we finished the season, and you know the fact that we just escaped relegation by the skin of our teeth. Um, but you know, fantastic, he's come in an area that I didn't like. You didn't think we'd need, you know, we didn't need to sign a, a big name player or spend a lot of money on maybe a loan signing just to get us through until Heaton got back. But shows you what the what the team, uh, Dean Smith and the team know about the team and how knowledgeable they are about football compared to us fans the fact that they identified that position as a as a potential problem and and you know he was the second name in the door so it, you know speaks well of, of, of what's going on behind the scenes Konza you've mentioned there as well Stefan I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on on the improvement Konza's made because I, I've said the same on the on the podcast I've been mightily impressed with how well he's done and how he's improved um I mean how do you think he's improved and, and how important do you think he is to the team it's a funny one, really, because he got shoehorned into the team at right back last year. And I think everyone was screaming for him to go back to the middle because, you know, we saw how a young centre-back 
played for us in the promotion season when we had two and Zebe. And I think a lot of Villa fans were clamoring to sign him permanently. And obviously, it didn't work out. And seeing two and Zebe's performance last night against PSG, um, he's really developing. And I think he'll be a top centre back as long as he doesn't get too many injuries. But I think when Konza came in, uh, the problem was everyone saw him as another two and Zebe rather than maybe his own player like because everyone still had that kind of view of Cohen, uh, two and Zebi, sorry um so when he was shoot horned in at right back last year i think that didn't help either because again that same thing happened to two and Zebi. um i think just this year he's just looked a different player he looks like he's bulked up a little bit his reading of the game is already always very good and he's a very good footballer you can see he, he, he's quite calm on the ball i just think he's been a bit braver i think last year maybe he was a little bit uh, i don't know not not brave but not as strong in the air and this year he's winning everything he's 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 very confident and I think the early performances have just let him have the space to do that I think if we'd lost the first couple of games and we'd probably see a different Konza but I think he's been given that space to develop and become even better purely uh, a lot to do with the results and the performances and the players around him yeah no I I, I can only agree with that I think um, what's also impressed me about him is the fact that he doesn't he, well, he never really crumbles under pressure because we've come across teams so far this season that do tend to play uh, a pressing game um, and do try and, and put pressure on the defence. And, and even then, he seems so much more calm and so much more assured than he was last season on the ball. I always think he's been a ball-playing centre-back, but I, I, I do think maybe early part of the, the season last year, you know, he, he there was a bit of pressure on him. It was a bit, you know, for him, it was probably, a, well, it was a big move coming from Brentford for 12 million pounds you know it was a big step up but but I think he's now finally got used to the, the pace of the Premier League and, and the time that he has on the ball and I think confidence is such, such a massive thing in football as we all know um, and, and that only that only translates on the pitch to how he's playing and the fact that he's able to and, and Jugsy who's one of the regulars on, on Villa Talk mentioned this last episode after the uh, the game against Leicester I think we've got a good partnership there with Mings and Konza in terms of how they play on the ball as well. So you have Konza who likes to dribble out from the back and is able to drive forward and, and almost drive through the midfield when when our midfield is, uh, when, the, when the sort of passing lanes are, are, are blocked off, he's able to get the ball forward and, and maybe take on a player and, and drive through midfield and open up space. Whereas Mings has that passing ability where, we, as we saw last game, that, that passed his target. He can get it on his left foot and he can, he can drive the ball at pace through the midfield or play those, you know, well-known crossfield balls that he's got, uh, and which only bodes well for our, for our future um, as well, as long as they both stay fit. Obviously, the, the, the worry is behind that um, if one of them gets injured. Um, Steve, are you, are you a little bit worried about our, our centre-backs in reserve, uh, Courtney House and, and, and Bjorn Engels? Yeah, I mean... Engels kind of, he looked like a good player last season, but he seems to have just disappeared. And I think there were some rumours last season that there was something going on behind the scenes with with Engels. Um, so um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see very, very little of him um, this season. Uh, and, and House is, well, he's one of those players that he'll do a job, but he doesn't really seem like uh, the kind of player who can who can play regularly in the Premier League, in, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I think there is a little bit lack of depth there, but I, I do think it also goes back to what you said earlier, Omar, that it kind of shows how well Dean Smith and the team know the players in terms of, you know, centre-back wasn't seen as a big priority in, in the window because they, they must have known that Konza was was ready to step up and and become uh, 
a first choice regular alongside Mings. Um, so that's encouraging. But but yeah, I think um, I think maybe if we were being greedy in the window, another centre back were wouldn't have gone amiss. But uh, yeah, we'll have to just cross our fingers and hope they stay fit. Not to be too harsh on House, but he very much looks like a one million pound defender. Um, occasionally, he looks like he's got all the ability in the world to dribble past anyone, to defend everything, and then he dropped two or three clangers. We'll see how he's developing, how he'll develop and continue to develop. But he's not as young as Konza, so yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a valid point. I think, I mean, for the money we spent on House, I think he's been he's been a decent buy. Uh, don't get me wrong, but. You know, they're, they're, we saw last year where, he, as you say, he has that sort of clangor in him and that mistake in him, which which Konza also had to a certain extent, but he's, he's sort of managed to erase that from his game so far this season, which, That's which fair. again That's fair. Is, is, is a good sign. But I think House, he's got the physical attributes you need to be a centre-back. You know, we all know how how well he did in the year last year. He was, one, if not the best defender, one of the best, if not the best defenders in the year last year. But it's more on the ball, like you've said. I, th- I think that's that's the big issue for House. Is sometimes it looks like he's, he's decent on the ball, but a lot of the time he looks like he he slightly panics a bit, um, and he doesn't have the composure or the ability on the ball that Mings or Conta do have, and even Engels to an extent. Um, you know, is a decent is decent on the ball as well. I think what what Engels le- lacks is, is pace, and, and that was apparent last season against s- a certain players. Vardy, I'm thinking of in particular. Albeit that there was that weird stat that came out that, that Engels uh, was one of the quickest players in the, in the league. but Yeah, I think his problem is more acceleration than pace. I think yeah. it just takes a real long time to get going and he, he's not very quick on the turn. I think once he gets going, he's all right, but we rarely see him get going. So, yeah, yeah. Which, which is quite important for a defender. Yeah. You know, that acceleration is, is massive because that's where that's where the goals come from. If you're, if you're not good in that first few yards, then you're not quick enough, then then that gives a, a pre, any sort of good Premier League striker a chance to, to have a shot on goal and, and, and score a goal, which is which is a problem. Uh, I will also be interested, St- uh, Stefan, to hear your your thoughts on on the fullbacks as well, because Matty Cash has come in, obviously uh, our first summer signing. Again, a position that many thought wasn't a priority because we had Gilbert, um, but it's been pretty apparent that he he is a massive upgrade and, and has has had a great start to the season. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on him, but also Matty Target as well. Uh, a player who many think is slightly underrated um, and has come in for some unfair criticism, albeit there is, there, you know, I think, I think there is a certain point there that, you know, we may need an improvement on him in the future if we do want to progress. But for now, I think he is... Uh, you know, he's done well this season and get, again did really, really well against Leicester. So I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on on those two players as well. Obviously, they are they're a key part of our defence as well. I think it's really interesting because a lot of Villa fans, I'm sure you you have experienced this being in Villa Park, screaming for attacking football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. At the end of the day, that's what you get with the two mats on on the right right back and left back positions. They're attacking fullbacks. They're modern fullbacks. They are going to first want to go forward, whip crosses in, beat their man, and and the defending comes second. And that's just the way we want to play. And I think they're both so key to that, uh, which is why when we get Neil Taylor coming in, we really have a drop off. Not because Taylor is a really terrible player, more just he's not an attacking fullback. Uh, but I think you're right about Matt Cash. No one really expected a right back. We, you know, everyone really likes Gilbert. Elmo steps in to do a good job when needed, but the the upgrade has just been massive. You know, he's just the perfect modern, complete fullback. And I think Matt Target. I think you're right. I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism. I've heard things that he's soft, but unfortunately, you know, 
if people get injured, they get injured. And uh, another one, I think we were discussing this, Steve-O, when we've, when we've had our own kind of chats offline uh, about the criticism of him tucking in. The problem is, is that he clearly he's being told to tuck in. Clearly, they're being told to give space because there's no way your left back is just going to tuck in next to the centre back without being told to do it. So I've seen that a lot on various Villa forums groups that are oh, why is he always so narrow? Because that's probably what he's been being told to do by the manager because that's the way we want to play. But yeah, I think both fullbacks are really good. I think Target's one of our best footballers in the team. Him and Grealish work really, really well down the left. Um, the link of play with them has been brilliant even last season in the relegation kind of threatened season. So yeah, I think they're brilliant. I don't think we need upgrades on them at this period in time. Maybe some competition at the left back better than Neil Taylor might be useful. But for now, I think I'm, I'm happy with them. An interesting point there you made around um, you know, the fullbacks tucking in. And I think that's that's something I'd like to touch upon in terms of you know why we've improved so significantly defensively since pre-lockdown. Uh, you know, uh, yes, our defenders and Konza and Mings and Target and obviously Cash coming in have, have, have been a massive influence on, on why we're doing so well defensively as well as Martinez. But I think a lot has to do with the shape of the team and how we set ourselves out. Uh, and Steve, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on how important do you think our defensive shape is and, and the way that we defend now compared to what we were doing last season and how important our midfielders are, especially to to why we're not conceding that many goals. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point about the the, the fullbacks tucking in, and at the end of the day, it's it's the safest way for for them to play defensively because you know it's absolute basics. You know, get taught that at schoolboy level that you know if, if a fullbacks if a winger's going to beat you, then it's better for them to beat you down the line than it is for them to beat you on the inside because they're they're through on goal there, and you know leaving massive gaps between the fullback and and the centre back is is really dangerous. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's much better for them to play that way than it is for them to play the opposite way. And and it's something that I remember Alan Hutton used to do a lot as well. And and don't get me wrong, I was not the biggest Alan Hutton fan, but defensively he was fairly sound. And and that was one of the reasons he he he, uh, he was that way was because he he, he took in a lot as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear Target getting some love on uh, on the podcast. I know uh, Chadzi last week was was talking about how underrated he was, and and I think exactly the same thing. That he uh, he links up with Grealish better than anyone in the team, or at least better than anyone in the team did last season. Um, and uh, yeah, it uh, it hurts me that I see him getting quite a lot of abuse on social media because uh, I think he's one of our better players. But again, it's testament to um, our recruitment in the summer that he's probably gone from one of the areas of the team that we didn't need to address to probably one of our weaker areas of the team. Even though he is good, um, you know, like I said, it's kind of testament to how well we we recruited. Um, in the window, um, but going back to the shape, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that we've we've worked on a lot of discipline. And like I touched upon earlier, I think over the lockdown break, um, they must have done some work on on shape. I don't know whether they could do that over Zoom or on their own or or how they did it, but I think that's definitely part of um, why we're looking so good. Um, and then probably having a player like Ross Barkley come in probably helps as well because. It means McGinn doesn't have to contribute to the attack so much, um, which, I mean, he has managed to do that as well. I think he's got a couple of assists so far. Um, but it probably means, you know, Douglas Louise can, can concentrate on being that deep line midfielder and McGinn can can worry about um, being a bit more box-to-box and, and helping the fullbacks out without um, without worrying about having to get forward to to support the attack as much. Just add two more things on fullbacks, sorry. Um, I'm no coach, but I think, 
the tucking in, I think we're happier defending crosses into the box. I think with Konza and Mings, the coaching staff are very comfortable that we can handle most most crosses that come in. So, you know, we'd rather defend that space than, than as Steve-O said, get beat uh, by the by the winger. And also just a quick shout out to Matty Cash, uh, might be declaring for Poland soon, national team. Apparently he's got some, uh, he's either a Polish mother or Polish grandmother. So hopefully we'll All be right. seeing a bit of Mateusz Kotówka in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Polish national side soon. I had to, had to get that shouting in. <laughs> slipping a few Zs into his surname. <laughs> love it, love it. I like it, I like it. Yeah, well, he's got about 55 cent, uh, right backs in front of him in the England team, so it probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he's got no one in front of him in the Polish team, so let's let's hope he gets a bit of a call up. Yeah, I was just going to say one one more thing that that probably helps the defence is um is Trezeguet's transformation this season, and uh, I've given the guy a fair amount of abuse before. Um, I think he's. I think last season he was toilet, to be honest. Um, even though he popped up with some very important goals, I thought he was the best crap player we've ever had. But um, but this season, he looks a completely different player. Um, I still think he's technically limited, but his work rate and his you know the effort he puts in is is phenomenal. And I think him helping out, especially when you've got a new fullback behind him who's never played in the league before, I think having his work rate down the ring down the wing, um, defending against players like you know, when it was Salah and, and Jota, um, that was probably Cash's weakest game. Was he got he got beat a little bit down that side? Robertson as well. Um, I think having someone like Trezeguet helping him out with that kind of work rate has, has really helped. I think to add to that, Steve, with the with the Liverpool games especially, I think there was a tactical decision there to give them give them the left or give them our right, and we really did put a lot of onus on Trezeguet and Cash. And I think you're right; that was one of Cash's weakest games. But I think that was because we kind of gave them the right to free up targeting Grealish down the left so we didn't really see Trezeguet in an attacking sense we just we saw him very have like a absolutely phenomenal game on on, on in a defensive sense so yeah I think that's another way tactically we've been a lot better this year I think we've adjusted our tactics for the, each game and that's definitely just helped the defense as well we've been pretty fluid in our tactics not just 4-3-3 press it's been you know a bit more like uh variable yeah, no, I think I think all excellent points, and there's, there's a number of points there that I want to I want to pick upon, and, and I've got some stats to back them up, and I think that's key. I think everything you've both said there definitely resonates with, with what I've been thinking, what I've been seeing on the pitch. Um, firstly, I think the you mentioned Louise and McGinn, and I think that's been very vital in terms of how we've played. We've obviously set up slightly different in games. We've, we've played a four-two-three-one in some games, albeit in the last game we we slightly adjusted that to. Um, counter Leicester's midfield and, and it seemed to work obviously because we won the game but um, I, I think the fact that Louise has been such an important player for us is, is, a, is, is a massive thing firstly uh, he came back a different player post post lockdown I think a lot of people could see his quality uh, early uh, before lockdown and the ability he had it was just consistency and, and those little errors that he had he came back a, a completely different player and probably was alongside Trezeguet, our most important player in the post-lockdown period and probably a massive reason why we stayed up. And that's only continued this season. And I also think McGinn, we've seen the best of McGinn, as you've said, you know, he's he's become this this all-action midfielder that he was last season in the early part of last season that he seemed to lose during the middle of last season. And then obviously when he came back from injury, he, he seems to have got back to his best form. Uh, and he's played a much more of a sitting role alongside Louise, but he's been the one to drive the team forward and play those cross-field balls and play those those sort of probing passes and then and then in the Leicester game obviously get forward and, and was the man to to set up Barkley and, and I think he's got four assists this season as well so I think he's been a massive part of it but I also think Trezeguet you know you, you mentioned 
his name there and i think he's been fantastic and and just to illustrate that point and and, and going going back to sort of some stats as well it, you know he in terms of tackles per game you know he's had 2.8 tackles per game this season and he's one of the top midfielders in the league when it comes to that side of things and his defensive contribution and he's always been a good player defensive side he was good last season with his interceptions but again that shows you how important he is on that right-hand side alongside Cash. And then Cash, again, is actually, I think, 10th or 11th in the league for tackles per game. He's done 3.3. But then it gets a little bit more interesting when you look at the rest of the team. And mostly our best defensive players in terms of tackles, interceptions, um, are our midfielders. And actually our defence, our, our centre-backs, Mings and Konza for, for tackles per game, for, for blocks, uh, sorry, for, uh, for clearances and interceptions are, are fairly low. And again, that shows you, I think, how we've our defensive shape has has improved us is is the fact that we're not letting players, uh, not position players, sorry, get get into our around in and around our six yard box and have those shots that they were having last season. You know, where we were having you know ten, twelve shots against us per game, sometimes more, sometimes fifteen, sixteen. We're we're hardly having any shots against us this this time round, and and that's sort of carried on from last season. Uh, and and the only thing that really Tyron Mings and Konza come come up quite high in, in terms of stats is, is clearances per game. Uh, so again, showing you that the fact that they're not having to block any shots, they're not having to tackle last minute, they're not having to do that sort of last minute work that you'd expect defenders in say a relegation threat inside to to being having to do. You know that they're, they're doing that that sort of clearing up job when it gets past the midfield, but the midfield themselves are doing a lot of the dirty work uh, and, and doing that sort of defensive work for them. And I think that's been a massive, massive reason why we've we've improved defensively is not just the shape, but also the shift our midfielders are putting in. And, and as you said, you know, Barkley coming in has, has freed up the likes of uh, McGinn to sort of sit back and, and do that defensive role and not have the onus on him to, to you know, work alongside Jack and, and target and get forward. Uh, and it almost we've got sort of Jack and Bar- Barkley and, and Watkins who are doing the, a lot of the work going forward. And then you've got Louise... McGinn and, and Tresge, who are the more defensive side of our midfield and, and doing an excellent job. That's, uh, that's that's really encouraging because if you listen to Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp or watch their teams play, they always want to win the ball further up the pitch. You know, they're not they don't lose the ball and then everyone runs back and, and waits for the other team to come onto them. It's if you lose the ball, you get the ball back straight away. So I think that kind of shows, like you said, we're we're shifting towards that kind of mentality, which is, you know, it's how the modern big teams play. You watch that in stark contrast with a regressive coach like a Steve Bruce, and you see eleven players parked on the, the just inside their own half. It's it's night and day, really. I think you're hundred percent correct there, Steve. And if we can, you know, try and uh, get to that that level of a, a Klopp or a, or a Guardiola coach team, then we're definitely on the right path. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how we how we defend against a, a different type of team on on Friday against Leeds because we've we've you know we've we've come across some tough tests so far this season uh, and we've managed to navigate them quite well uh, obviously winning four and four but Leeds are a different kind of team and and I suppose we should probably touch upon on that game now um, and, and talk about them as well you know they've had a, a fairly decent start to the season albeit incredibly hyped by the media uh, I would say uh, you know they've you know they've done well in, in a few games, but also not done so well defensively as well, and conceded quite a few goals. Um, they're going to have Calvin Phillips missing for the game on Friday, which is a which is a big miss. Albeit, I don't think he's been at his best in terms of his league form this season. He's still a vital, vital t- part of their team, and potentially Liam Cooper as well, who's probably been their best player this season. 
uh, or one of the best players alongside maybe Harrison and, and Bamford and, and Click and, and maybe Helder Costa as well. Uh, he he might be missing and is, is a major doubt for Friday. So again, another game where the opposition team have injury worries against us and, and everything seems to be falling in place for us and we're getting a little bit of the rub of the green. Uh, Steve, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on, on Leeds and how do you think they've done so far this season? And, and do you think they've been a little bit hyped or do you think they've done well for, for a new team coming into the league? I don't think they've been a little bit hyped. I think they've been unbelievably hyped and it is grinding my gears, to be honest. Um, I knew that it, was coming. I was thinking, I was just thinking to myself on mute, like, Steve, I hate Leeds. He's going to say, I know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the weird thing is, I, I don't actually traditionally hate Leeds. I, I lived in Leeds for three years when I, when I was at university. So I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for them. But I just think lately, the hype around them is unreal. And, and, you know, they've, they have got a very good manager or an exciting manager, I'd say. I'm not sure actually how good he is. Um, when you look at his record of winning stuff, he's, he's never really done it outside of Argentina, but he's very exciting. Um, and they have got good players and don't get me wrong, I think they'll do okay this season, but the hype around them is, is incredible. And I think it's a, it's a really weird coincidence that their fixtures have been exactly the same as ours in a different order. Um, they've played all the teams we have plus Man City, who obviously we should have played in, in the first game week. That's um, a crazy one. I didn't even yeah. notice that. Yeah, but if you compare the the reactions to how they've played, you, you'd think they were top of the league, not us, um, because you know they lost 4-3 to Liverpool and they got more praise for that than we did for, for winning 7-2. When, when we beat Liverpool 7-2, it was all about how crap Liverpool were and how embarrassing it was. Whereas when Leeds lost 4-3, it was about how amazing and, and attacking they were. And I was even listening to um, a different football podcast. Sorry, Omar. Um, and uh, and one of the presenters on that managed to give credit to Bielsa for our win against Liverpool. He said um, he said it was it was Bielsa's philosophy in the in the league that um, that had encouraged other teams to get attacking, and that's why we were seeing results like. Villa seven, Liverpool two. Yeah, which, which I, I listened to that as well. Was that the Guardian one? I think it was. Wasn't it, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Football Weekly. Barry Glendening, yeah. which is a very good Glendening. podcast. Not as good as this one, obviously. But obviously, uh, obviously not. But yeah, so it was frustrating. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. I think they have done okay. But but okay is the word. You know that they're mid table with seven points, and six of those points came from wins against Fulham and Sheffield United, who are probably the two worst teams in the league at the moment. So. I don't expect them to get relegated, but I also think they're not going to live up to the kind of hype that they're that they're getting at the moment. Stefan, I'll be interested to hear how you think the game's going to go on Friday. Do you think it'll be a, an end-to-end game that everyone's expecting, or do you think we will be a bit more measured about how we approach it? It's a really annoying one because you know we've we've started four out of four. Everything's pointing in our direction. Phillips, Cooper out, but it. As we said before the podcast, discussing that kind of sense of dread you have whilst watching Villa, it would be so Villa to go to Leeds and get smashed after having such a brilliant start. So I'm really cautious about making making any sort of prediction. I do think we'll probably look to dominate the play. You know, Leeds are a very high pressure, high intensity team. And, I, I, you know, I don't think they're going to want to give us the time and space to play. And I think we're going to really need to rely on, on the likes of Barkley and Grealish to find those gaps and to play around the press. Um, I think pressing the way to get around the press is to play either long balls from your centre half over the, the front line of the, of the press or, or play out wide through the fullbacks. And I think we've got both of those things in abundance. So 
I do think that we we should win the game based on our start and based on the players that are missing. But I'd probably take a draw at this point because I can't bear the thought of Leeds beating us at home. <laughs> no, I think and it's, I think it's a massive shame because I think this was a game that everyone was looking towards that potentially we'd be able to get back in the stadium or at least some of us would be able to get back in the stadium and back at Villa Park to watch. And I think a game on Friday night at Villa Park against Leeds would have been amazing and, and would have been a great atmosphere so that, that's a big shame but I, I think it might actually play in a little bit into our hands as well because you know I saw the Wolves Leeds game and and it was an interesting one to see you know Leeds were probably the better team overall um, but but Wolves approached that game completely in the right way they, they were a bit more clever and streetwise about how they played that game you know they, they let Leeds tire out almost and I think we've seen that a lot this season where where Leeds have conceded goals later on in games um, and, you know, they play that such a high intensity game, a hundred miles an hour that, you know, there are going to be periods in that game where the players are going to be tied. You know, they attack in numbers and they're in defending numbers. And, and you, you know, I was watching some of the analysis and they were showing how, you know, they had five or six players in, uh, attacking at one time, right, right on the edge of the box. And then as soon as the Wolves broke, you know, within sort of 10 seconds, all those players are back defending at the edge of their own box. And that, that shows you the level that they play at. So that's going to be quite interesting to see how we we counteract that. But I think the fact that Phillips is missing is big, and apparently Pascal Stroik, who's who's their defender, is going to be playing centre midfield. That's what uh, Bielsa said today in the press conference. So, you know, that could potentially be an area of weakness for them, and 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 definitely an area that we can uh, we can hopefully capitalise on. Um, yeah. But now, briefly touch on two more points about this. Yeah, so sure. The first one, I think, going back to the Leeds game, not last year, the year before, the controversial one. I think the only two players that have managed to keep a lid on on Grealish really have been Calvin Phillips and Liam Cooper. Calvin Phillips stuck to him like glue, and Liam Cooper almost snapped him in half and and kind of you know got away with it. And I think those two being missing will really free up Grealish, especially with the other creative players we have now. And the second one is I think there's a lot of interesting similarities between us and Leeds in terms of that I think the lockdown and the stop of play saved both of our seasons we've all seen Leeds tire out and I think that, that those months gave them the time to regroup and I think that's probably the reason they came up last year and, and I think the reason we stayed up is because we had that break to regroup and, and and kind of learn from our mistakes and we definitely saw a different villa after that so I think that's, a, that's quite an interesting narrative there I'm not sure if it'll be spoken about but I think that's that's quite an interesting narrative to look at as well that the, the teams that had their season saved by by COVID. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, actually. Something I've not thought about and, and you know, definitely th- uh, true of Leeds. And we saw that from the season before when they when they faltered at the end. And, and obviously we capitalised by going through in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a good point and it'd be in- interesting if anything is made of that. Um, and, and I think it'd be interesting to see how, how we approach the game. I think there'll be lots of opportunities in the counter-attack like we've talked about already. And I, I think... You know, we we did so well against Liverpool on the counter attack, but also pressing high up. I'll be interested to see how we approach the game in terms of will we continue to press high and will we continue to try and block those passing lanes off, or will we sit back a little bit and and try and play over the fullbacks like 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 has been mentioned already. Um, Steve, how how important do you think Ollie Watkins will be for this game? Because obviously he, you know, one one thing that we lacked last season was pace up front, uh, and and it was probably a major reason why we didn't play so well on the counter attack. And this season, obviously, we've seen already how well we've played on the counter, and, and what can be a massive part of that. Do, do you think he's key to our success on Friday? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think you touched about touched on it um, already with how Leeds played on on Monday night against Wolves. Um, like you said, that they're high pressure, and and Wolves probably play in the perfect way anyway, because Wolves are more of a second half team. If you, if you look at their stats. Um, they score a lot more goals in the second half of games than they do in the first half. So 
like you already said, they were they were the perfect team to play rope a dope a bit and and let let Leeds come onto them first half and then punish them in the second half. And and I watched that game as well. And you're probably right that Leeds were the better team overall, but in the second half they really didn't create anything. They didn't look like scoring. Um, so I think we kind of have to echo that kind of approach. Um, and like you said, Watkins will be key to that because we saw against Liverpool how well we can play on the counter attack against that kind of high press. Um, so if we can kind of weather the early storm or, or nick an early goal ourselves, I think we'll be perfectly positioned because we can we can afford to sit back slightly and yeah, just pick them off on the counter attack. And and I think that would be the ideal scenario for us. Probably the worst scenario would be lead scoring early on um, and kind of getting ahead of steam. But I think if we can if we can keep them quiet for the first half an hour um, and then nick a goal ourselves, I think we'll be well placed to to use that counter attack. And and yeah, Watkins with his pace will be. Will be an absolute key to that because you know you compare him to someone like Samata from last season, and it's it's night and day in terms of of pace and movement. To be honest, adding about pace, I think to add to pace, which I fully agree with, we've suddenly got pace in the side, power and driving from midfield. We just had Grealish last year because McGinn was missing for so long. Suddenly you add Ross Barkley to that, who pick up the ball just above halfway and just drive. It, it, it's it's so key, and I think it frees up everyone else. Uh, to show their pace, to show their their ability to get into spaces, their ability to to be found. So yeah, um, it's night and day from last season in terms of the pace we've got, especially with Watkins up front. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. And yeah, looking forward to the game. Just before we get your predictions, uh, I think the only other point I wanted to make was uh, around set pieces as well. So not only do I think you know counter attacking is going to be vital, but also set pieces as well. Because I was looking. I obviously watched a few of the Leeds games and, and, and also looked at some of the stats as well. And, and in terms of aerial prowess, let's put it that way, you know, Leeds are, are definitely towards the bottom of the league uh, in terms of how good they are in the air. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we've massively improved in set pieces as well, as we've seen this season towards the latter part of last season. You know, we, we really struggled in the early part of last season in set pieces. We weren't doing well, either defending or attacking, but but we seem to be getting that right this time around. And again, I think that might be an area of weakness that Leeds have and an area that we can exploit. So, you know, we, we look forward to that game and, and it'll be an interesting one. And hopefully we can make it five out of five. Steve-O, first to you, mate. How, how do you think the game will go? What's your prediction? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I feel the same as Stefan in that we should be really confident in this game because... We are the better team. We have an amazing start to the season. We're with a form team in the, in the whole league. But my Aston Villa trained brain just thinks five games in a row at the start of the season it's, it's not going to happen. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep confident. I'm gonna say we'll win this two one. Okay, two one. Interesting, interesting. I'd I'd personally probably go along with that. I think there's going to be two one or two two. I think there'll be a few goals in it still. Um, but yeah, it'd be an interesting one. Stefan, what are your thoughts? Because Steve, you nicked my predictions, so I'm going to go outlandish. I'm going to jump on the Liverpool bandwagon and say we're going to win 4-0. 4-0, wow. You know, it was either going to be a tight win or just uh, we're going to destroy them or we're going to get destroyed ourselves. You nicked my tight <laughs> win prediction, so I'm so, going to... So you've, gonna gone, go you've, gone, you've gone for all angles there. <laughs> I'm going to go for the 4-0 and I'm going to be prepared to eat humble pie from a fair few Leeds fans if they listen to this. Oh God, no. Hopefully they don't. <laughs> Hopefully they don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can happen in this season, can't it? That kind of result. Um, it's not even surprising anymore, is it? A 4-0 win or a 4-3 or a 4-2. It, it just seems to be happening all over the place. So... Yeah, we look forward to that game and, and we'll obviously be doing a match review of that and I'll be joined by the regular crew. Hopefully we'll be reviewing a win again 
Um, we've we've had some good luck with it with the same crew coming in and reviewing games, so we'll keep it that way. Uh, but just before we move on to DDA6 and the part that most people are excited about, I just wanted to quickly touch upon Fancy Premier League, an area that I really struggle with. Um, and many a year where I've given up you know, sort of quarter way, halfway through the season. As we've got an enthusiast, as he puts it, Steve-O on, on the pod today, we thought we'd spend a few minutes on that. So, Steve-O, firstly, how's your Fancy Premier League season going so far? It's not going that well so far, but uh, I think... Um... Oh, forget you, it then. Let's let's forget this then. Let's just move on. <laughs> if you um, if you troll the uh, the fantasy football um, Twitter community of of which there's a lot, um, all the usual big hitters are are struggling this season. It's it's been a really surprising season in the world of, of fantasy Premier League with with teams like Everton having you know some of the best assets and and then teams like Man City not doing that well. You know your, your normal. People of Kevin De Bruyne would normally be top of the scoring charts. Uh, it's not really happening for them, and and then of course you've got you've got Aston Villa second in the league, who who no one would have expected. So well, your, uh, game, your game week four, Allison owners probably were crying. Or <laughs> yeah, the well, what the the big tactic um, before the season by a lot of people was to double up on the on Liverpool defenders to have uh, Alexander Arnold and Robertson in your fantasy football team, which is spending a lot of money on defence, but. Obviously, traditionally Liverpool's Liverpool's defense is so good that uh, it, it can pay off, um, and then we go and beat them seven two, and they got minus two each, I think, that week. So well, it was Adrian wasn't it? Alice wasn't Allison on game week four, but I guess he was a late doubt, wasn't he? So I guess people probably had him from the start of the season. Then, yeah, yeah, they did. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a surprising one, but hopefully things will settle down going forward. That's always been a tactic of mine because I, I don't bet uh, at all. But when I play fancy Premier League, I always try and pick the players that are playing against Villa just so I can I can get some sort of uh, benefit of us game beat. Um, but I think that attitude's got to change. That's not a good attitude to have, is it, as a Villa fan? Uh, but no, not going to work anymore. But I've, yeah. got a, I've got a very close friend who uh, who also is a is an FPL enthusiast, and and the season we got relegated, he did extremely well just by captaining a player that was playing Villa every single week and. Um, it's a cruel thing to do when uh, when you support the team, but uh, I guess it was a little silver lining every week as we, as we lost pretty much every week that year, didn't we? But surely, surely you've had Grealish in your team, haven't you? Surely he's been the number one pick, no? Oh, he's in there now, certainly. Um, and it's it's funny you bring him up, you bring Villa up because if you if you'd asked me at the start of the season, you know what Villa player should I have in my fantasy team, I'd have said, well, none of them, you know, stay away, um, especially defenders. And now we're at the stage where. Martinez is looking like one of the best players on the game because he's so cheap because he started as a as an Arsenal reserve on the game. Um and obviously reserve keepers rarely get any game time so they so they're really cheap. Um and obviously now he's he's come here. We're one of the only teams keeping clean sheets and and he's had a penalty save along the way as well. So uh he's looking like one of the best assets and and then players like Konza and Target again really cheap players but they're in they're playing in one of the the only teams that that keeps clean sheets. Um so yeah, it's looking uh, very productive. I don't really pay attention to it, but I've seen on the on on Twitter that Martinez has pretty much got bonus points every week as well. I think is is that right? I don't know. It seems to be. Yeah, that. yeah I think I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, he, cer- he certainly did last week because um, I've got him in my team as well. Yeah. Now. I know he got a he got a nice haul on the weekend, and, uh, and so now you've got all the Villa players in your team. Expect a, a downfall. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be all my fault. Um, so just, I suppose, just before we move on to, to Didier Six, I'll be interested to hear some of your tips for the uh, upcoming game week uh, or upcoming game weeks, shall I say? 
any players that you think that uh, players should be thinking about putting in their team? Well, it's, it, it's a strange one that, that my tip is going to be one of the best strikers to ever play in the Premier League. But um, Sergio Aguero is actually uh, weirdly going below the radar at the moment because um, even though he's one of the highest scoring players traditionally in FPL, and um, like I said, he's one of the best strikers to, to have ever played in the Premier League, he's actually owned by less than 2% of, of players in the game at the moment. Um, and in the world of FPL, we talk about differentials um, which is players that are going to score highly, but hardly anyone else owns. And we're in a very strange position where Sergio Aguero is actually less than 2% owned in the game. So he, he's a weird one that uh, he might actually be a, a surprising pick for the ne- next few weeks. Um, and my, my other pick is is actually going to be a Villa player. It, it's going to be Ross Barkley. Um, I think a lot of people have got Jack Grealish in their team. Um, and, and rightly so, because he's you know we all know how good he is and he's going to score points. But again, because Barkley started the season at Chelsea, um, he's he's really cheap. I think he's five point nine million in the game, which is which is relatively cheap for a midfielder. Um, and we've already seen how how good he can be attacking. He's he's got goals in his in his two games he's played for Villa, and and again he's another player that's that's pretty low owned in there. And you know, especially if you if you spent all your money elsewhere and can't afford Grealish, I think Barkley would be a, a nice under the radar pick and uh, and very on on topic for this podcast. Good. I like it. You picked, you picked a Villa player. Good. That's good. That's what we wanted. Um, so th- thanks for that, Steve. Just a quick five minutes on that, but I'm interested to hear your, your views. And uh, yeah, that was that was good. But now uh, it's time for the, the the main segment of the show, the one that every listener loves and, and the one that the one we get the mo- best feedback about, which is uh, Didier 6. So here we go. This is Didier 6. Okay, so this week on Didier 6, Steve-O and Stefan are going to try their best to get all three into Villa's version of Room 101. We've had some pretty good ones go in so far and some pretty good ones not go in so far as well. Um, so we've had uh, Ash Stevens who who got managed to get four out of six in, but then I knocked one back the, the, the episode after because I thought about it and I thought that was... It, the LALA song actually had a lot of good memories, so I couldn't put it in. So I took it back out. Uh, so I'm allowed to do that. It's my game. Uh, and then we had we had Trent uh, or Mark Ashmore uh, and Rob Warner uh, come in the, the week after, and they managed both to get two out of three in. So we, we upgraded their score to four out of six. So we've had some interesting ones. The likes of Martin Eagle are in, the Doug Ellis stand, the last year's Kappa kit. Um, so some interesting ones have gone in. So I'd be I'd be uh, interested to hear which three you've both got picked uh, picked for today. Um, so the way it works, so just uh, just to remind you, is you get uh, sixty seconds to to give your pitch if you like for your for your pick to go into room one hundred and one, uh, and then we have a little conversation, and and, and then I make a final decision, uh, and we'll we'll take it in turns to, to go through each each pick, and then at the end, um, you know, there's a you'll get a score and then at the end of the season whoever gets the best score will get a get a special prize uh and um well you'll have to wait and see what, what that is because i haven't decided yet but anyway so uh stefan if you'd like to go first i'd have your first pick uh, and then i'll start the i'll start the clock uh, are you ready yeah yeah ready yeah so i'll start the clock now okay so my first pick is steve bruce um to be honest, I'll be completely honest. I, I don't like Steve Bruce. I don't like him as a person. I don't like him as a football manager. I don't like Steve Bruce. And even when Steve Bruce is not a part of Aston Villa, you still have to watch him. 
almost every weekend. If you want to watch Premier League football, you have to watch his turgid brand of terrible 4-3-3 with a 40 million striker on the right wing uh, and centre-backs all over the place. So, yeah, not even thinking about what Steve Bruce did for Villa. I'm just talking about Steve Bruce as a person, as a football manager, and he's once he's my first pick to go into Room 101. Excellent. Well, within the 60 seconds, oh, this is a great one. This is a this. I'm, I, was, I was waiting for this one to come up. Uh, I, if in fact, if I'd probably done Room 101 I'd, uh, or Didier Six, I'd probably been picking this one. Um, so it probably gives you an idea which way I'm going to go for this one. But uh, you know, just for the uh, just for the listeners, let's let's have a conversation about this one. Sure. Now, now Steve Bruce, the manager. All right. So uh, forget about his his Villa tenure, which was, you know, yeah, you know, he did well. Mixed, yeah, I think mixed, mixed. Um, you know, but I, I think in Newcastle, he's obviously done well last season and and done slightly better than Rafa Benitez in terms of his record. But the Newcastle fans are still not happy with him and still want him out. And I think that gives you an idea of what most people think of as a, as a manager. And and for me, I think the big thing about him when he was at Villa was. You know, not his, not so much his style of play and and what he did with the team, because I think at that point in time when we came in, that was probably needed, and, and I wasn't, I was quite happy with him coming in, to be honest. I think it was more the fact when things started going wrong was the lies yeah. and the way he tried to spin things, uh, uh, things that we all knew weren't true, um, and that really, really annoyed me and frustrated me, and, and probably the reason why, I, you know, I really. I really don't like him as as a manager. It's the same everywhere he goes. That's I think yeah. the frustrating thing um, about about Steve Bruce and the man, not Steve Bruce, maybe the football manager. Because I think you're right. I think we had some mixed times. We had some good times and some bad times under him. And to be honest, I'm probably talking myself out of it here. But if we'd gone up that season under him, we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. So <laughs> that that last failure is probably actually a thing that saved us. But yeah. Steve, what are your thoughts on, on Bruce just quickly before I make a decision? I'm tempted to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I think for the uh, the purpose of the podcast, I'm, I'm going to. And uh, I don't necessarily disagree with, with everything you say. But uh, the one thing that does kind of annoy me is the failure of people to distinguish between the manager and the person. And don't get me wrong, I don't think he's a great manager. And I was happy when he was sacked from Villa. And I think it was long overdue. But the way some Villa fans talk about him, you'd think he was like a blind, mentally challenged you know, <laughs> idiot, basically, that, that doesn't know what he's doing. And, and and at the end of the day, he's an okay football manager who's had a pretty decent career. Um, so I think for, for the sake of the podcast, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll offer my devil's advocate view there. But... Um, I'm not going to offer it too strongly. I, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to appeal if you decide he goes in. Okay. Okay. So my, again, my thoughts, just in summary, before I make a decision, was is as as a person, I think um, you know he obviously went through re- really tough times, and he, he, you know he's obviously a, a genuine bloke, and, and and lots of people in football like him, and uh, and and sort of respect him. So you know, obviously they know him more than we do. So from that perspective, you know, fair enough, whatever. As a manager. And as a manager, I think um, what he did at Villa, he was okay, yes. But I think overall he was poor. And and because of those lies, I don't think that um, relates well to him as a person. Uh, I think the fact that we can all see that and, 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 you know, what he was trying to do and how he was trying to, you know, push players under the bus almost um, in some of the things that he was saying in the press conferences um, is probably the reason why I'm going to put him in to hey. one. 
So congratulations, he's in. Devo, your turn. Uh, I'll start the clock now. Okay, so my first choice, um, I, I know you've had songs on here before, but there is one particular song at Aston Villa that really, really gets on my nerves. And uh, all I have to say to remind you of the song is, do, 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 do. It's that awful song they play at full time. We love you, Villa, we do. I appreciate the sentiment, but when you see, think the alternative when we win a game is uh, don't look back in anger, which I'm, I'm very much a fan of. You know, I think there's a nice message behind that from that lowly time in the championship when we got our first away win at Reading and they played don't look back in anger. And, and I love that we've adopted that and people belt it out. But then when we draw or lose, you're faced with this dreary, dreadful, we love you, Villa, we do, 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 do. And it, it never gets out of my head and I hate it with a passion and I very gladly never hear it again. Oh, okay. Just in time. Well done. Well done. Just in within 60 seconds. An interesting one. One I've never really thought about, to be honest. It's never really annoyed me. Uh, but before I give my thoughts, Stefan, what are your thoughts on that, on that song? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just recovering myself as crying with laughter at the, <laughs> the way you described it, Steve. I think, I think you're right. Um, my, when I was a season ticket holder for about six years and before I moved out to Poland and yeah, just every time we lost or drew, there's this, you're right. You walk away, think pissed off about the result. And then you've got this blooming, terrible song in your head. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you here, Steve. I'm not, I'm not going to play devil's advocate. I mean, it's nice that we have a song dedicated for us, but yeah. But I, 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 I don't know where it came from. Was, uh, wasn't it written by like Peter With's son or something weird? I've no idea. I'll be honest. I need to hear it again just to, just to make sure. Steve, do you mind doing it again? <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> It's a, it, it, right. First of all, put yourself in the situation. We've just, we've just, come, we've just lost a, a two-goal lead to QPR and drawn two-two, and you're trudging away from your seat, and you hear the guys going, "We love you, Villa. We do, 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 do." I, I generally have never even thought about it, uh, but the fact that you both strongly um, hate it uh, and want it to go in, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't care either way. So yeah, it can go in. It's in. Well, hey. Okay, well done. So both one out of one so far. Stefan, your turn. Number two, when you're ready, go. A little bit controversial one and at the risk of alienating some viewers who may be part of these. I'm going with Villa Facebook groups. <sighs> so I'm not a biggest fan of social media to begin with, but I joined a few of these groups of my first season we went down to the championship to try and find streams for the games and then slowly as we moved our way back up these groups merged and molded into something really weird and you just see some of the weirdest comments and some of the weirdest hot takes on the situations and I can't even get my head around some of the thought processes of these people you know you're on a public domain site that everyone can see what you're writing and some of the stuff that people come out with, not even related to Villa, slightly related to Villa, very related to Villa. And then you have like the the guys are always on there, always making comments, 
always make starting fights. I just don't understand it. I, I, I don't know what it is about Facebook that, that makes people act the way they do. So this is, I'm going with Villa Facebook groups. Oh, perfectly on one, on one minute. Exactly. 60 seconds. Well done, mate. Well done. Yeah. Facebook has an interesting one, isn't it? I, uh, we don't, uh, in terms of the, this podcast, we don't do a lot on Facebook. You know, I, I, um, upload the, the episodes on there, but I don't really interact with anyone on there. And I don't think we've got many listeners on Facebook, to be honest. I think most of our stuff comes through Twitter or Instagram. Um, and it's a weird place, isn't it? It's, Facebook is a place I try and avoid, I'll be honest, um, both personally and through the podcast. Um, I, like you, I've been on some of those villa groups to look at streams back in the championship days and, and, and I've seen some of the messages on there. It's a weird place. It's a place, and, I, and I'm sorry if, if you're on Facebook, and you're probably not one of the ones that I'm, I'm talking about. Um, if you're listening to this, um, I, I'm Steve. I'm not even going to go to you on this one because, yeah, I'm, and this is going in for me. It's, it's I'm, just I'm, a weird. I'm arguing it's, with this one. Yeah, it's just I, I don't get it. It's I, compared to Twitter and Twitter. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Twitter has its annoyances as well, and, and I think the fact that everyone has to have an opinion on every single thing in the world, whether it's biscuits or tea or cricket or football or a certain player or politics you know whatever it is there's everyone's got an opinion on twitter but i think facebook's even worse so yep for that reason it's going in well hey steve you'll go number two ready go so my second one is um not specific to villa but it's definitely something that that has affected Villa in, in the past. It's arbitrary stoppage time. And by that, I mean the one minute of stoppage time you get at the end of the first half and the four minutes of stoppage time you get at the end of the second half, no matter what's happened in the game most of the time. So you can have a game where you've had no subs, no injuries and no goals. You get to 90 minutes, four minutes goes up on the board. Or you get a game where you've had three broken legs, two red cards, six substitutes and four goals and you get to 90 minutes and four minutes goes up on the board. And then it's the it's the poor timekeeping in that. I mean, I remember a game where we played, I think it was Watford, and uh, Pantillamon got the ball. Uh, there was a free kick in the area in goal for Watford, and he got the ball, wasted time, got booked. The referee booked him for time wasting, said he was going to add the time on. I actually went back and checked, and it was 90 seconds that it took. And then we got to 94 minutes of stoppage time, and the ref blew the whistle. And it pisses me off. So just in time, just finished... All right. Good one. This is a one I've never really thought about, but one that does piss me off as well, actually. Um, um, because I, I'm with you. I don't really get how, how they work and I don't really understand why they can't come up with a better solution for getting a more accurate time in terms of stoppage time rather than just having an arbitrary number that comes up based on, oh, well, you know, the number of subs or whatever. Um, it doesn't make sense because, and the other, the other thing is if there's five minutes added time and someone gets an injury in stoppage time, um, it's still they still play to five minutes or just after five minutes. They don't they don't put an extra minute on or an extra minute and yeah, a half that, on. That was my point with that story about Pantelimon. Um, I mean, I was rushing a bit, but I remember it clearly because I did go back and look, and it was 90, 90 seconds he wasted during it was already in stoppage time, and he wasted ninety seconds. Four minutes had gone up on the board. He wasted ninety seconds of that four minutes, and the referee said he was adding it on. And then as soon as it hit ninety four minutes, he blew up, and we were a goal down. So you know it was extra frustrating, and uh, it just winds me up. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you on that. The only reason I'm, I'm going, maybe thinking of not putting it in, is the fact that it's normally both. It's normally the same for both teams, uh, and some games it goes against you, some games it goes for you. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not really yeah. sure about this. Stefan, quick, quickly, just quickly, if you take just 10 seconds, just give your views on, on what you think about this one. Um, I'm fully in agreement with Steve-O. Uh, I think stoppage time addition and, and calculation is completely arbitrary and isn't actually ever calculated properly. I think refs just pick a number what they what they feel is, is correct and they, they put it on. I don't think there's any calculation or counting there. You, you both know that you're playing against each other, right? You, you keep agreeing with each other. I know, but I agree. I can't disagree with him. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think I'm going to put this one in, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> because... I, I, is it, it's, yeah, no, no, it's, it's because it's, it is annoying, don't get me wrong, and I do get frustrated, but the fact that it works for both teams like that, and sometimes, like I say, it goes for you, sometimes it goes against you, I think overall in the grand scheme of things, it's not a massive problem, so I'm afraid that doesn't go in to Room 101. Oh, it's a disaster! It's gone in off Anchorman! Right, Stefan, your last go. Can you get the full house? I'm going to make some enemies with this one. Ready, go. Frederick Gilbert. Oh, this one is awful, but I've had really good thought about this one. There's two aspects to this. Number one, the clamour of our fans asking, why is Fred not playing? Why is Fred not playing? Matty Cash has been statistically one of the best right backs in the league this year. Three clean sheets, 12 out of 12. Elmo, brilliant pro, sat behind him, can play centre-back apparently as well. So that's why he's in the team. The second thing is um, the way he's been moaning about it on Instagram has been kind of asking why he's not playing and kind of posting these pictures. It's a little bit like disheartening for me. You should see, we should see him like trying harder and trying to win that place back from cash. Competition for places is only a good thing, especially when we're playing at such a high level. So unfortunately, I'm going to make some enemies because I know Fred is loved. I want to put him in there until he starts showing a little bit of a different attitude. Ooh, contentious. That's what we like. That's, that's how we get the extra listeners. I like it. I like it. Um, wow. I didn't expect this one. I'll be honest. Um, controversial. Yeah, it is. Um, I didn't want to make it too easy. You know. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. I like it. I like it. I, I think, I mean, I was definitely one that thought Gilbert was, was decent last season. Um, albeit there was there was areas of his games that could improve, but I thought it was very much the same as Matty Target. You know, he was not as good going forward, but he was probably better defensively than Target. But there was definitely aspects of his game that could improve. And I think Target's done that this season on his game. Gilbert, obviously, we haven't seen, so we can't really judge him on that. Um, but I definitely think Matty Cash is an upgrade, and, and that's been pretty apparent in these first few games. Um, and the only other thing I will say with, with Gilbert is, you know, he, he did come back in the side late last season uh, during the lockdown period and that, that winning run that we had, and especially against Arsenal. Uh, I think he was quite key in that game, and he, and he, and he played really well and he played well against West Ham as well so it's an interesting one it's something I didn't expect to be making a decision on but I do get what you're saying about about players and and, and this was one that Ash Stevens actually talks about when players are out of the team or are injured and, and the fact that suddenly they get this massive clamour for them and, and get this reputation that they're going to come in back inside and be our saviour or, or be a player that's going to make a massive impact on the team and if they haven't made it before when they were fit why would they make it after they've been injured you know, if it wasn't the if it, if it was just the clamour, I just wouldn't even be a thought in my head. I just feel that since he's been out of the team, it's been a bit mopey and a bit sulky. I follow him on Instagram and I see the things he's posting, and it's just I don't know. It's just a bit of a shame because I do really like him as a player, but you know, he, he's got a, quite a lot of time in front of him, and I, I do think he he will be able to get back in the team if, if Cash gets injured. So I'd rather him be working harder and focusing on his game and not you know, sulking on Instagram. Yeah, no, I get that. I do get that. And I think um, it's, a, it's a decent point. But I think a lot of that stems from the fact that there was a lot of reporting 
in the media, the fact that he wasn't happy and he was homesick and, and he was sort of trying to clear that up. And, and I definitely think he was maybe being forced out of the team and forced out of the squad because we were looking for to free up numbers in the squad. So I sort of get it from that perspective. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm 50-50, I think, on this one, but I think I'm not going to put it in because I, I, you know, I can't put it in. I'll be a bit of a hypocrite if I, if I put it in because I was one of the ones that, that thought actually, you know, he'd be fine for this season and and he deserved a spot in the squad and, and is, is, should be second choice behind Elmo because, you know, Elmo's got probably one more season left in him. But I, I get why Dean Smith's done it. Obviously, he knows more than me and, and it's worked out well. So from that perspective, I get it. But I think overall, you know, Gilbert is a, is a good guy. He's a good lad. He's got the right attitude. I don't think it's sulking. It's more the fact that he's trying to show how much he wants to be in the team. So for that reason, I'm afraid he doesn't go in. Oh, it's a disaster! It's coming up, Ankleman! Go big or go home. <laughs> right, the last one. Steve, are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Okay, this one might be a little bit controversial as well. But um, for me, it's, it's the club and the fans going on about how big of a club we actually are. Um, and I think we've got a bit better at it lately. Certainly the club has, but I, I, I cringe sometimes at, at, at us going on about how how we're a massive club and how we used to be a big club and we used to do this and we used to do that. Um, if you remember that season under Sherwood, one of the kit reveals, you know, it was all, it was written all over the the kit reveals and the kit um, advertisements. We are a big club, and it's like. I, I wanted us to stop looking backwards and, and start looking forwards. And it worked fine if we're a big club, we're a big club, but act like a big club and, and do the things that's going to make us get back to being a big club and, uh, you know, sign the right kind of players and, and play in the right kind of league to be called a big club. And and I think we're moving in the right direction now, but for a long time, that's that's really annoyed me about how much we cling to this mythical status of being a big club. Mm, interesting one. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of get what you're saying, especially when you have that same argument on Twitter with other fans on of other teams about who's the bigger club. It really annoys me because I think, what's the point? It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if, if we were the bigger club or we are the bigger club. If, if the other team are doing well, like Leicester or Wolves are doing really well, then, you know, fair play to them. They're doing well and they're doing well at, at this point in time. There's no point really having a pointless argument about who's the bigger club. We know the kind of historic team we are and how well we've done in the past and, and the fan base that we have. I don't think you need to get into those pointless arguments. I do, on the other side, if you'd said that to me, I think I would have said, I completely agree with you. But the fact you're talking about us acting like a big club and being a big club and thinking we're a big club, I, I do think, and I made this point in the podcast, I think I think we need a mentality change in the fan base now. Um, and I think for so long, and this is sort of the brummy way, is, is to be, uh, you know, dampen your own sort of hopes a little bit, be a, bit, a little bit pessimistic and be a, be, a bit, be a bit cynical. I do think we need to start, acting like a big club in terms of the fan base as well you know we've well, got amazing that, that, that's kind of my point really is is we need to act like a big club rather than telling everyone we're a big club and it, it's one of those things that if you have to tell people you're a big club you're probably not a big club what right. you need to okay. do is, all right is just all right up and, I, get it. And okay. I'm, and, uh, I missed that point but yeah okay fine now you've said that yeah i'm, I'm happy with that I, i'd agree with that so yeah for that reason i'm i'm gonna put it in Well done. So Happy days. So that's two out of three for both of you. I think I think it's fixed. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> no, I genuinely didn't mean. I, I genuinely was thinking that uh, Stefan was going to get all three in. Um, uh, went too big. Yeah, his first two were really good, and I thought, oh, he's going to be the first one to get six out of six. And and generally, I'm not. I'm not looking to sort of make sure that it, you know everyone gets two out of three or one out of three. Uh, um, if they're if they're worthwhile going in, they're going to go in. 
Uh, if, if we end up with 10 people on six out of six, fair enough. That's what happens. You should have said Neil Taylor, Stefan. You'd have, you'd have got it. Damn it. I like Neil Taylor though. I mean, I've got a bit, he's a bit of a cool hero, isn't he? So I don't think I could put him in. Yeah. There. I mean, it'd be hard to put him in. He's such a, he's such a nice guy. Uh, no but comment. yeah, well, well done. <laughs> well done boys. Uh, that was good. You're, you're both joint top with, along with Rob and Mark, uh, both on four out of six. So, cause I, as obviously I'll double your points to, to make it fair and, and uh, pro rata it up, but that was a really good one. I enjoyed that. That was an interesting discussion. Some really, uh, I like what you've done, both done there. You've put some contentious ones in there to make it interesting. So that's what we want to see. Um, although Bruce was, was a fairly straightforward one. I, I sort of labored that point, but I would have put him in straight away, I'll be honest. That was the open but, goal. <laughs> yeah, but but, uh, but but thanks both for your time. That's been a really uh, interesting discussion. Hopefully get you back uh, again in, uh, in the near future. Yeah, thank you. We're happy to come back and cheers for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us and uh, really enjoyed it. And, and yeah, happy to come back in the future. Brilliant, Steve, and, and we'll be. I'll be seeing. I'll be seeing how your uh, fancy Premier League tips do as well. So I'll be coming back to you if they if they uh, don't perform. But no uh, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for your time again, and uh, thank you for listening, and thank you also for 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 all your interactions over this last week. We've done a number of different podcasts, um, and obviously I was on Villa View, which which really helped uh, get us out there and, and, and sort of publicise what we're trying to do here on the Villa Talks podcast, which was great. And thanks again to Dan Bardell for that getting us involved we really really appreciate that and it also led to us being uh, as i put on twitter today uh, number three in the uk charts for football podcasts so yeah thank you and um, yeah i mean i didn't didn't expect to be doing so well early on and it's not about that really for us it's about uh, you know having a podcast with no agenda and and having interesting discussions which i think we did today so thank you again for for listening to our podcast and and subscribing and interacting with us if this is the first time you're listening, then please do listen to our other podcasts. Uh, I think you'll find them interesting. And and if you like what you heard today, then please do subscribe and follow us. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, then please do leave a rating and, and give us a review. And, and any feedback you have, you know, good or bad, we're always happy to listen and, and always looking to improve. So but thank you for your time. We'll be back uh, next time with a review with a lockdown lowdown with a regular VT crew, Villa Talks crew, who will be reviewing the hopefully our fifth win out of five against Leeds on Friday uh, and until then up the villa I love it manu bahut changa lagda